We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to jump in and dig into our November breakfast. I know it's a little, we're a little behind on November. We did our uh, Brotherhood Vision Cast uh, earlier this month, and um, that was really exciting to, to get that out and release. We were trying to get Aaron uh, to join the podcast. Uh, we had a lot of really positive feedback of, of people that... Uh, had been to the breakfast, had listened to the audio, and uh, just really connected with the content. And so we were hoping to uh, open up that uh, a little bit more with Aaron, just like what we had did, done with, um, with with John Smithwick. But uh, unfortunately, schedules didn't align. We weren't able to make it happen. But as always, I have Mr. Matt Schrader with me today to, to dig in and, and talk about it a little bit. Matt, how is everything going? Uh, good to see you. Got some, some styling glasses today. Look at you, looking all, looking all, all right, official. Yeah. Just go ahead and out me, out me. This is not a video podcast, so I was hoping, kind of hoping to get away with my newfound improvement in life. I've okay, my yeah. eyes they are uh, something's happened with the world and it's all blurry. My eyes <laughs> sure are fine, but yeah. So I added these glasses into the repertoire, and I will tell. I'm just going to start out being vulnerable here. You're going to call me out eventually, so <laughs> I actually. Was going to do this entire podcast blurry. Oh, yeah. I was going to be like, you know what? Own it. No, no. Don't own it. Just deny it. Uh, do the little, like, big eyes thing to try to get everything back into focus briefly so you can read. And then I looked up and I was like, Evan wears glasses. I yeah, totally yeah. didn't it's even think about that. You're in good so company. I was like, you know what? I don't have to worry about it. It's it's much easier to see. Especially there are, there's there's no lenses in mine, though. So it's just uh, these are I got hipster glasses. Oh, well, um, that's even worse, dude. That's, <laughs> that's embarrassing for you, man. You're 40-something you're, you're 40 years old. You shouldn't be doing fake things to look cool. Like that's, fake things. I, no, I'm joking. There's lenses in here. Those things we're, are we're, out, we're good. Now he company. owns up because he realized yeah. one was worse than the other. <laughs> yeah, man, they're sweet, though. Look at them. I look. I, I look. I you, know. Know who, you know who I tried to embody this look off of? Uh, oh, it just slipped my mind. Hope is Alive guy. You know that guy, the Hope Lance? is Alive guy? Yeah, Lance. yeah, Lance. That dude looks sweet yeah. in his glasses, his beard. My beard needs to be a little longer. You, yeah, you need to have a fuller beard that goes down to about your probably about your Adam's apple. I think is yeah. is kind of the he look. Pulls it off. I was doing yeah. it during mountain season, but I I kind of trimmed it, and then I haven't gone back, so I haven't decided. It's kind of it does weird things when it's long. But anyway. okay, right on. Well, it's we got a whole new mat here today. Maybe turned over a new leaf. So I'm I'm excited to dig into this content. See, you know, th- this might be a whole new adventure for us. We'll we'll see. I mean, yeah, will. you know, we'll it's it's no longer what you see is what you get. It's uh, it, Matt Matt is an, a new man. So I'm I'm excited. So let's let's dig in and talk about this because uh, it, it's been a little bit of time. I've I've kind of dug in a little bit and re-listened to the podcast. Tried to uh, glean what I can. This is a uh, this one's gonna be tough because I feel like it's 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 almost like a it's a it's a there's two different stories. There's the uh, the the Joe lessons, the 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 lessons that he learned from this this uh, stepdad that kind of walks into his life and, and kind of that phase of it. And then you know you have the uh, the the Joe the escape Joe, 
And uh, then there's like life lessons that Aaron's learned kind of in his own journey. And I, I do think that that parallels a little bit in terms of like our childhood and then our adult life and, the, and then seeing the parallels there. Um, but uh, man, there's, there's a really interesting, um, a, a really interesting topic that's kind of woven into this that, uh, that, you know, just even just learning from Joe, cause I think there is definitely lessons to learn from Joe. Um, and uh, you know, Joe is, I think there's some people that can heavily relate to that kind of uh, relationship with, with their father and then also their stepfather and then their relationship to God, like how that's modeled for them. Um, but I think the the biggest interesting thing was like when Aaron talks about in the beginning, like his, 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 uh, his natural father wasn't in the picture. And the interesting thing for me is like Joe actually does bring stability into their lives like the the beginning of yes. the story is good Great and point. It's, it's yeah i think the uh the thing that i you know i really kind of want to hammer on is like us as fathers us as husbands and, and and leaders in our homes is we really do set that temperature like and the interesting thing is like it doesn't have to be your your uh, blood family like as a stepfather walking into that role too you can you can actually set the tone you can you can set the the atmosphere of your 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 family. I, I think we've talked about it before. Is like the uh, the what was it? Uh, we're talking about kingdoms. Like what is the culture of your kingdom, and yeah, uh, that question. you really can set that tone. Yeah, I came away with the same thought or similar thoughts about the first half of the story. You don't if you're not expecting the the cliffhanger, the turn you know, the, the story going south, it actually sounds like a great story. Yeah. You know, it, Joe comes in, he mentions it, and I had that thought too. I thought, wow, for a while that story is very good. Stability, they're feeling better. Like, he talks about how, I mean, he basically says he feels stable. They have a house now. They're in a space where both him and his brother are looking forward to this thing. And it made me think of people in the stepdad position that – are I think easily intimidated. Now I say this from not being a stepdad, just kind of uh, outside observation. Yeah, so good disclaimer. By yeah. no means am I um, taking on that space, but I would imagine as a stepdad, you feel intimidated coming in, and then I hear enough about you're trying to build a relationship with new people, and you got the idea that oh, you're not my real dad, or you know, you're not you're not actually my dad. You know that kind of attitude by maybe maybe it's teenagers maybe it's less little kids but still that I, I think there's some confidence there that you as a father stepping into your role as a step stepdad although it may more be more difficult and more challenging it's not for not it's not for nothing you actually are bringing something even if the kids generally react poorly in that initial stage of relationship. So I'd say to all the stepdads out there, keep going, keep building relationship, keep sewing in, investing, affirming your kids because Aaron brought out the idea that bringing in a stepfather, although it did turn South, it brought stability. It brought a sense to the home that's needed. So yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, real dads that are, man, I hate the real dad stepdad thing because a real dad just a real I think it's dad. just we can say father role because I, I think that uh, regardless of how you classify it, there is, there is a father role that you, you play when there's children in the house and you have that, you know, nuclear family-ish unit that, uh, 
that comes in. Obviously, mom was doing her best, but she really wasn't in a position to create that stability. Joe came in and was able to fulfill that for a little bit. The interesting thing about Joe is that whenever, whenever like the the path was good for Joe, like he was pursuing this this uh, leadership position in the church. It sounded like you know he he was he was recommended through like uh, you know trusted friends and all all this stuff is 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 looking great for Joe. Um, and then Joe's ultimately faced with the decision. He's 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 brought to a point where if I'm reading between the lines, God's plan for his life was put in front of him and he had an opportunity to choose. And obviously the choice was to run. Uh, I think it scared him and, uh, or, you know, however you want to classify that, but he, he chose to go the opposite direction. He went the old Jonah route. And when that happened, everything really falls apart, but he talked about it later on in, I think it came down to maybe some of the Aaron lessons part of the, the message or the, the talk where he returned to a familiar captivity. So I think that Joe was placed in a, in a position where he was faced with uh, an uncomfortable freedom or a familiar captivity. And man, he, he went hard left on familiar captivity. And I think the thing that we can learn from that is that going to that familiar captivity was completely changed the culture of the family. I think, I think Joe was just very unhappy with himself. Maybe he had a lot of regret, didn't know what to do. And it just, I, I, I don't know if he was looking for external validation for the decision that he made and he wasn't getting it. And then he felt guilt and he felt like he couldn't escape it. And he just started taking it out on everybody. And man, that was a really steep cliff that, that the, the whole story kind of hinges on. But when, when you're in that situation where you're, you're looking at a, a an opportunity to go into something that you don't know what the other side looks like. You can trust God. You can you can rely on His faithfulness and 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 see what's there, or you get to that moment and you're 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 considering that familiar captivity because it's safe. You like you know you you know what it looks like in some capacity, but I I think what Joe's story is telling us is you don't know because man, it I don't think that Joe beginning of the story Joe would have chose that familiar captivity if he had seen himself running out of the house with a gun shooting at his his family um and then just you know completely seeing yeah. just the destruction from that decision that's that's where it's like how do I how did I get here I, I'm sure there was a hopefully there was an inventory that he took at some point and just said hey th- this is not this is not what I've chosen for myself but it's the small decisions Right. And that that one pivotal moment of familiar captivity versus uncomfortability of freedom. Um, he probably didn't realize it was that big a decision. But, man, you get further down the road. You're, I mean, I would be looking around going, what have I done? Yeah, that's the catch 22 in those situations is oftentimes you get there because you haven't been looking at who you are, where you're walking, what you're doing, how you're acting. And you hope somebody does make that choice. You know, the thoughts I had was just a little bit of captivity. It doesn't stop there. That's the challenge. Like you, you're not really just choosing a static captivity. You're choosing a captivity that continues to close in, that continues to squeeze in. That's what I envision when I think of Joe is that 
his captivity just squeezed more and more around him, more and more around him, more and more around him until you're stuck and he's just being jerked by a chain to act like that. Because that's not the nature of God. It's not even the nature of humanity in the sense of how you'd want to treat people you love. But you add sin into the mix. You add a lack of mental health, God touching your soul, that God's presence. You add rebellion in there. You add fear in there. You add all these other elements of sin that poison our nature. And now you've got humans who do things, treat their families like that. And it's an ongoing process, which the repentance side of it, although, well, what I'll say is the repentance side of it is, is also an ongoing process. It's a continual walking in that, uh, eating of the bread of life, walking and drinking of the living water. Like it's a continual time in God's presence that keeps you in a space of loving the fruits of the spirit and your family feeling those, the people around you feeling those. Yeah. So, uh, I, I was, as you were kind of talking, I was, I was kind of imagining the situation, trying to put myself in, in Joe's shoes and then maybe look at you know, what, what could have been different for Joe? What, like, Joe's in this situation where, you know, he's he's going down this path. He's looking to maybe take over a church. He's, you know, feeling the call of, of ministry or feeling God's call in his life for, for what his next steps are. He runs from it. But I think if if you imagine, like, who are the people around Joe at that point? Who are the who are, did Joe have a brotherhood? Did Joe have you know, guys that said, Hey, I understand that you're concerned about this. Let's talk about it. And, you know, let me share my experience when I was in this situation. Let me share my experience of, you know, how I walked through it in, in the uncertainty of it. And, uh, man, Hey, you know, maybe they could have foresaw some of the, the, the path of destruction that he went down and said, Hey man, I need, I need to reach down and, and, and pull you back from this. Cause I, I see that your relationship with your family is degraded and that's that's maybe why he he ultimately went back to texas like why he 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 pulled himself away from the community that he had around him um that's you know when you when you look at the tactics of the devil it's it's to isolate you and i mean joe played 100 percent into the isolation game and he probably didn't want to hear somebody encourage him to or try to pull him back or, or whatever else and i think that's where the importance of having that brotherhood around you that has permission to speak into your life. You have that vulnerability where you can say, man, I am scared right now. Like, I, I don't think that I'm the guy, like, I know that God's calling me to do this, but I, I don't, this is, this is too much for me. I, 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 the cup is, you know, the burden is too strong and, you know, take this cup from me kind of to steal what God had to say about it. But, you know, for him, if he had a brotherhood around him, my, my intuition tells me that it, it could have been a different story. I mean, and we're talking life change. We're talking life change for Aaron. We're talking life change for his brother. Like all, all of this based on the absence, potential absence of a brotherhood. Now I'm obviously taking some, uh, uh, some, uh, creative, um, control of this, but I, I would say if he was in a situation where he had a strong brotherhood, he had guys around him to encourage him, guys who had maybe been in that similar path, man, the whole story could be different. And, and, uh, you know, it, that's, that's where it's like, when we really want to trust in God, I, I think a brotherhood and, and having those guys around us is an important element to that, that community, because man, when you're on an Island, when you're a leader and you're, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're stepping into the unknown, it's very lonely and you have to have that community around you. Yeah. Let me broaden that picture just a bit as well. And this is for, 
those of you listening, me at one point in time who didn't have a brotherhood. Or maybe you look at your involvement and you discount the impact a brotherhood could have on you because you're not in that space where you're having these conversations. So for a while in my time with brotherhood, I didn't have a lot of, this is what I'm going through. Are you going through this conversations? I do now. I'm grateful. But for the first few years, it was just kind of me showing up and being around people. And inevitably what would happen is I'd be in a circle, not even talking, like, if you hang out with me enough, unless I know you know you, I'll probably just sit quietly and just listen. And But inevitably, somebody would tell a story, just talking about what they're going through, what they're facing, maybe an outgoing type person, just like to talk and talk. And, and I would hear in their story, oh, wow, I'm not the only one going through this. And I would imagine somebody in Joe's perspective, just to pause a minute, you just get a call on your life, God drops something in your spirit, fear grips you because for whatever reason and now you're in a group and you're hearing somebody else describe that same story there's a little bit of God the Holy Spirit can get in his presence into your life just by hearing oh wow that person's scared too I would never think that person's scared that would never struck me that person seems so confident and like they've got things going on and when you're in that environment the Holy Spirit can speak to you even if you don't quite have the relationships that like we discuss on this podcast or are always painted with the brotherhood. Cause from the stage, we always paint the best picture. We think, Oh man, this guy, he's praying with you when you're going through it in your marriage, this guy, he's showing up with food and groceries when you're having a financial difficulty or he's at the hospital. And those are the stories we always tell, but more stories have happened in my life where I've just showed up, ate breakfast, sat with a group of guys left. It appeared as if nothing big happened in my life. No major actions. Nobody came alongside, quote unquote. There's nothing to tell from the story. Like you wouldn't tell the story. Matt showed up at breakfast and then left. Like that doesn't sell tickets. But in my heart, God spoke because I heard somebody else tell a story or just chit chatting about their day. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. They're going through that too. I'm not the only one. I've. I didn't even realize I believed I was the only one. And here I am believing a lie that I know is not true. And that guy right there just helped me. The Holy Spirit mm-hmm. stepped in and was like, hey, see, Matt, you're not the only one challenged with difficulty. You're not the only one facing this in your job, facing this in your relationship with your wife, so on and so forth. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Uh, now I notice why you, you follow me around most Brotherhood breakfasts. So I knew, I, see, I, listen, I've been watching this gleam in your eye for about three minutes, and I knew there was a like, joke. What, I knew something. What, what I didn't is this guy over here talking. with the glasses? Oh, that's Matt. I didn't even, I didn't even recognize him. I literally, I was going to keep talking and change he's, the he's subject. Like, he's, like, like, he's, he's back something. in his car. He's like, this is a, praise God, this is, I am, man, this is. The listen, impact of this is, is, not, is huge. I, listen, you're never getting a compliment from me on whether it was you or not because you don't know how to handle them. You take you're them right, in I know. directions. You're right. so I, I'm too immature. I would, I would totally mess it up. <laughs> you, I think you would just. I, actually, what I was going to say though is just it 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 takes that leadership vulnerability, the 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 willingness to share your struggle with a trusted group. Uh, or you you've you probably had it modeled for you in some capacity to where you're willing to share your story because you've seen that vulnerability modeled. I think the Brotherhood Breakfast does that. I think a lot of times we're going to get people up there. Like, you know, we do have a lot of pastors and, and church employees that, that speak. And obviously it's, you know, uh, th- that's kind of part of 
the difficulty of finding speakers ultimately. But, uh, you know, when you get a guy like Aaron, who's like, I've, I've, I don't really know him as a pastor. Like I've seen him around, but I haven't necessarily like, you know, heard him speak from the stage or really heard his testimony at all. I think for the audience, it's like, Hey, this is a guy, this is a guy like me. This is a guy who's, who's had some family issues, which, you know, I, I think everybody in some capacity has some sort of family issues and, uh, they're like, Oh, okay. This is an amplification of family issues. They're like my, you know, I maybe look at my childhood a little bit differently now, just seeing like when you're talking about verbal abuse, you're talking about physical abuse, you're talking about just, a, like not feeling safe in your home. I mean, that, that completely changes, uh, you know, you want to be nurtured at home. You don't want to, you don't want to fear for your life all the time. So to have somebody model that vulnerability, it, it gives you, I think, permission to say like, it's okay. Like, okay. Aaron shared this and instead of everyone making fun of Aaron for, you know, being just, you know, this, this, you know, small guy that got, you know, bullied around by his, his stepfather, it's like, man, uh, I, I look at this situation completely differently. And, uh, you know, I, I think that gives me permission to, to be more vulnerable. It gives you permission to be more vulnerable. So I'd encourage you, like, you know, when you're ready, you know, just take that step of vulnerability because that, yeah. we're, we're going to inspire other people. You're going to inspire. I just want to yeah. encourage you. You're going to inspire other people. So um, I'm really excited about that for you. on this podcast. I'm the most vulnerable. <laughs> Let's just set that straight. You're also you're the most humble. Yeah, your you're mask. like, man, I'm the, I am the humblest. Off, Evan. I'm the humblest guy on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit, of, and I appreciate you allowing me to jab you a little bit because I know it's coming later. I know that there's – I, oh, I yeah. saw you writing oh, some I, yeah, notes down. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I I did want to talk a little bit about the winning formula because that I hadn't heard that term before, Ooh, that's a good and phrase, yeah. uh, that that was uh, that was one where if you think about it, it makes sense, right? You're sitting there going, okay, like what, like how do I survive? Like what's the what's the keys to survival? Um, you do X, Y, and Z. Well, you first don't react quickly, and second of all, you make sure that you are a perfectionist. Like that was Aaron's winning formula. But the interesting thing is, and I've heard this before, and I didn't think about it until I was probably in my late late twenties, early thirties is the, a lot of the mech like survival mechanisms that we have, or some of the, um, like hardwired, I wouldn't say personality traits, but maybe responses that we have to situations. A lot of those are, are formed in our early years for Aaron is it was formed when he was eight or nine years old. And he essentially developed this winning formula and executed that winning formula all the way into his adulthood years. So really, if you think about it, an eight or nine year old is making the decisions for a 30 year old. Like, it, and it, oh. and it, that's where it's like, okay, maybe we should take a step back and like ask myself, why am I responding this way to certain situations? Why am I doing the things that I do? And in some cases you need to step back and say, okay, maybe I need to apply a 20 year olds or a 30 year olds um, logic to this and identify if I need to respond differently to this because you, you get to the point where it becomes habit. Like you talk about habit as, as being something that's formed, but that habit, it could be formed by a child. And now you're continuing to essentially respond as a child to situations. And so for me, I was like, wow, that's a really powerful, uh, thing to look at. The interesting thing was it was a successful formula for him. So it worked for a long time. Now, yeah. I don't know that he was operating in maybe like the the fullness of who he could have been who he could have been, right? Like so that 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 winning formula ultimately 
created, I, I mean, I think he talked about it here. Um, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't growth. It was actually stagnation. And, and when that happened, he no longer grew as a, a person, if you will, because he just continued to operate within that winning formula. Does that make sense? It does. And it also gives clues to why anxiety gripped him in such a strong way later on in life. He's taking, to use your example, an eight or nine year old strategy to solid adult situations that have multiple yeah. complications. You know, I guess I'm speaking for Aaron in this situation. He'd probably be able to speak a lot more about his own anxiety problem. But what it made me picture is if I put my, I have a nine year old. If I dropped him in the middle of my job, one o'clock on a Tuesday, and said, "Hey, get after it. Go do go, you. You make sure we eat this week. All right. Um, I'm gonna. I'm not available anymore. Like if that also. I mean, he would just. I mean, he, he would freeze. He would have no. Like, there's no response. He doesn't have the capacity to even bring in. And even if I learned it all, or if he learned it all, by the time he learned it all, he can't handle. I watch him now. You know, if I add too much stress to his plate, he crumbles in that sense as a nine-year-old. So, um, that's, uh, hmm, yeah, it reminds me of, um, let me just give some advice, some unsolicited advice, not to you, to anybody listening. <laughs> if you like have an issue with your nine, with your kid crying too much and you got a boy, cause this is a dad thing that happens, go volunteer at a youth football, youth basketball practice, just volunteer for a week. Within that week, almost every child will cry. Every one of them. And all of a sudden you go, you realize, oh, nine-year-olds just cry. That's what they do. Like, eight-year-olds cry. Six-year-olds cry. Like, so maybe that's just me. You can cut this out if it's not beneficial. Like I was going to say, it sounds like the common denominator is you making kids cry. I just want to point that <laughs> no, out. No, I wasn't. No, this, this was happening. I, I actually thought that same thing myself. But I asked the other coaches, and they're like, oh, no. These kids cry all the time. And I was like, yeah. oh, because I was told when I was nine, don't cry. I didn't know everybody else was crying. I would have probably kept crying, but I stopped. You know, I was like, because I was told, don't cry. Anyway, there you go. I'm not sure if that's worth it for anybody else, but um, if you need that help, go for it. Just volunteer to kids thing. They cry all the time. It's totally normal. <laughs> I think what Matt's trying to say is that there, when, when you're a kid, you – you don't know how to handle emotion. You don't know how to handle yourself. So you, you, you are going to make decisions or do things that are more immature, more, and, and not saying that crying is immature, but it's like, I, I think they just don't know how to process it. Right. And so right. what you were told as, as a kid was to press it down. Right. Which is, you know, the, the solid 1990s parenthood, <laughs> like, it, you right know, there. the yep. old boomer generation, just shove it down deep and deal with it later. Now we're dealing with it all now. That's exactly um, what we're doing. But uh, I, 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 we, we talked about it before. It's like, hey, man, man up. Like, uh, he talked about it in terms of, you know, filling the gaps. Like, we run to gaps. But, he, but what Aaron did is he said there should be no gaps. Like, we, like I don't want to create any opportunity for anything to go wrong. So he probably has some perfectionist um, tendencies as a, as, a, as a result of that. Now, he did say that, I mean, because he was talking about the old, uh, you know, go get me a tool, go get me some vice grips or whatever oh, else. Oh, yeah, that's a classic. And, uh, I don't know if anybody else like kind of uh, 
related. I, I didn't I didn't relate to it as much, but I've heard the jokes about it. it's like, you know, the kid holding the flashlight for dad. And it's just like they flinch because, you know, they're never getting the flashlight in the right place. Um, and it was just that I, I think the dad's frustration, like I've been there. Right. And I've, I've never just, you know, wallet my kid with a flashlight. But like the the kids are curious. Right. Or they're distracted. They're, they're not wanting to do what you want them to do. And so you're sitting there, you got your hands up into a refrigerator or whatever you're trying to fix. And you're trying to have this, this kid wants to help you because he wants to spend time with you. And uh, you're frustrated because you can't see anything because the kid is shining a light on the wrong thing. And so you're, you're just, you're uncomfortable. You're frustrated. You just, you're mad because the thing broke in the first place and you just take it out on your kid and you're just, you snap at him. And then uh, the kid like doesn't necessarily want to be a part of it. He's like just afraid to be around you. That's not, that's not the father uh, relationship that they want to have. But like, I've been there, like I've been there where I'm trying to work on something and my kid literally like head goes right into my line of sight. So all I see is the back of my kid's head. And I just, and I, and I'm like, man, I've, I've been working all week. I only have a little bit of time to work on this project. And now my son, he's super curious about this. And I'm, this is going to take me four hours instead of 30 minutes. And the, the temptation is, this is me being vulnerable. The temptation is to just push the kid out of the way and say, go inside, do something like, like watch TV or whatever. Just get out of here. Right. But the other side of me is like, man, he's curious. He's interested. He wants to spend time with me. He wants to, he wants to learn. He wants to, I mean, he wants to move the wrench. Like he, even if it's the most menial task, he wants to be able to say, I fixed this with my dad. And so what I had to kind of step back and, and realize is this is a, this is a teaching opportunity. There's a quality time opportunity and I'm going to, I'm going to actually lean into it as opposed to push him away. And as a result of it, my kid, my kids love working on stuff and they love being handy and they, they're not afraid to get their hands dirty, but I'm on the other side of that. And it, it was really tempting to just take the easy rate out easy way out and say, go over here and go do something else. But I in, instead invited them in and to the extent now, like I had a, I had a buddy a while back, I was building a, a shed and, and, uh, my kids were out there helping me the entire time. And he looked at me and he goes, he goes, how do you get your kids to come out here in the cold and help you with the shed? He's like, I can't get my, I can't get my son to do any of this stuff. And the reality of the situation was I included him. I included them in the beginning when it was the small stuff, when it was just, uh, changing a tire on a car or just even like hanging a picture on the wall. They, they want to hit the hammer. They, they might hit the wall you know, but the picture's going to cover it up anyway, but you got to let them do it. And that's, those were the deposits I made then to now I'm reaping the fruits of that, which is they want to be out there with me. They actually want to help me. And they're actually pretty good at it. So I got little helpers now. I understand how, you know, farmers would, you know, get the whole family involved in the family business. But, it, man, it, it, it starts in the beginning, and, and you have to do that. But what we don't want to do as fathers is put our kids in that position where they're afraid of us and they don't want to spend that time with us because what Aaron was alluding to in this whole Joe lesson section is that impacted his relationship with God because his father, you know, that father-son relation that God describes – like he, his view of God at that point was don't screw up. Like he's, he's, he's just waiting for you to screw up so that he can execute his wrath on you. And that's, that's not the kind of kingdom that we want to have. That's not the kind of uh, relationship with God that we want to model. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic discussion. It's build, you're building so much into your kids as a father right now. And it does take a lot of growth 
individually and personally from you. You know, depending on your situation growing up, there may be more or less in this place. But that's, you gain the relationship with your kids later that you're investing in now. And it takes patience and it's difficult. But man, I'm glad. I'm glad for you. I really am. That's, that's a great experience, a great opportunity for relationship later on in life. Uh, yeah. And my kids did cry too. So don't, don't, you know, don't feel alone in that. Oh yeah. No, listen, that. listen, one, one season of volunteering. I don't know that I felt alone, alone. I fe- I'm sure I assumed, but it was like, oh my gosh, like all of them, every single one of them. And it's awesome. Like, that's a great sense. I don't know if in the nineties, I don't, I don't remember everybody crying, you know, but I don't really remember a lot from that space in my life. So I don't think anybody does, but uh, maybe because you blocked it out. There was so much, so much tears. You just, uh, you just hunkered down. You had a winning formula. That's what it was. That's why you don't remember it. It's exactly what it was. We all sucked it up. We all uh, stopped that crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. It was all that. That was everyone. I'm sure what every one of us, there's a couple well-adjusted folks (laughs) out here somewhere, but they're not, um, they're not on this podcast, let me say. Um, I've, all, I've uttered those words. I've said, hey, man, you want something to cry about? I will give you something to cry about. <laughs> so I am I've guilty of words. that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it always sounds stupid coming out because I'm like, that, that, that didn't make sense when I was a kid. <laughs> and, it, and I still carry those thoughts. Like, logically, that doesn't make sense, Dad. Like, <laughs> I'm already crying. Like, why would you need to give me? So I have something to cry about. That was my logical brain yeah. as a kid. But, yeah, the winning formula, what's interesting is it doesn't – so it doesn't produce what we think it produced. It's not actually a winning formula. It's, it's a surviving formula. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he mentions that. You're just trying to stay alive in that sense. And in his case, that was very much the truth. For some of us, it's just emotionally alive. You're just trying to stay what you think – is everything keep everything okay and you're taking on too much responsibility and yeah the uh and then people wrote books about it and we started buying into that so there's a lot of rewriting that god has to do once he comes in and says oh yeah by the way everything you learned in the world we're going to use it but it's not very useful yeah that's god right there well i i would i would maybe take a step further and i'm, I'm taking some liberties here i'm so if Dr. Neiman is listening, I, I am not a psychologist or a doctor, but I would venture to say, based on what Aaron was describing, is that his winning formula had a byproduct, and that byproduct was anger. Mm, and that, man, that, by, that, that byproduct actually fueled a lot of the things that he had to work out in the future, To why, where Dr. Neiman was like, listen, what are you angry about? And I think yeah. what happened was is there was this frustration that grew to anger, and that anger just was like seasoned everything that he did at that oh, point. Good. And it just, it carried through. And I, I think the other side of it, it was, you know, that, that uh, stagnation creates frustration as well. It's like, you're not growing. You know that you're created for more. You know that you were created to, to, to lead. And, and I, I feel like even when you get to the Aaron side of the story, he, he still felt that pursuit of, of Christ and, and that calling on his life to lead. But, he probably was so angry because he he never pursued any of it because of that winning for, like he knew I needed to that I needed to stay in this familiar captivity of the winning formula, so that I didn't pursue that. To the extent that like he even said, like I was concerned about my ability to be a father, because I had I had two 
bad examples of what a father should be. And like, like how, how, uh, arresting is that to your mentality when you're literally going, I know that I'm supposed to have a family, but I am completely unequipped to do so. And I'll probably screw it up to which you, you know, in some capacity, you, you, you delay maybe the pursuit of that because you're like, I don't want to bring another, I don't want to bring a family into this and put them through what I've been through. And, and because I, that's all I know, that's the, that's the only winning formula I know is modeling what Joe did, modeling what my father did, you know, cutting, cutting the relationship and, and, and going a different direction or, uh, you know, ultimately just that, like maybe he saw the anger in Joe and he, that resonated with him. And that's where the winning, like he just didn't realize his winning formula was creating that. And that stagnation that happened in Joe manifested as stagnation in Aaron's life as well. Yeah, that's a good connection. It's a lot of, I was going to say earlier, some good psychoanalysts, but I did think of Dr. Neiman being mentioned, and I thought, hmm, I don't know if we can go that far. But I think you're making some good connections there. We tend to, it's like the strategy. So, um, a guy said this to me. He said, we're talking about wounds and different trauma that people go through. And he was like, you know, the trauma is not the trauma. The wound is not the wound. I was like, okay, go further. And he's like, there the is no actual spoon. wound is what you believed the event said about you. So an event happens. Not to say there's not terrible events. But what that event said about you is the real wound. Because it said it told you a lie or something the enemy told you a lie at that time. Maybe the actual human creating the trauma told you a lie in that moment. So that event made you believe a lie about yourself. And then you pursue responses to that lie. And I thought that strategy that we end up giving, because this is all like enemy based. And I don't want to go too big devil here, but as if it's the actual supreme leader devil himself. But the adversaries we have both spiritual and then the culture of the world and then our own internal flesh dialogue create these narratives and they create these lies and then they create these strategies that are seemingly good strategies to deal with the lie, but they're actually poor strategies to deal with an untruth. And then they produce the very thing that created the untruth in the beginning. So we see that repetitive nature, you know, guys become like their father. You turn around, you're like, oh, my God, I'm just like my dad. And you repeat these cycles. And here you spent years trying not to be that one thing. You spent years trying to avoid being whatever it is, abusive, uh, complacent, um, all the different things we have that we kind of try to not be. Oh, I'm not going to be that when I grow up. Definitely not. Oh, the one that gets thrown around a lot is the alcoholism you, know, you hear a lot of alcoholics will tell the story oh yeah my dad was an alcoholic and I'm not going to be that I definitely I, I was committed to not being that and here I did I became that it's like well the meat between that between those two sandwiches of outcomes is a lie is told and then a false strategy a strategy that seems right to your mind you know it reminds me of that scripture in Proverbs winning formula uh, yeah. it seems right to our own eyes that strategy takes that lie and creates the same result that started it in the first place. And there's your circle. And you see that in stories like 
we're hearing or talking about today, stories that we tell. That's where God's truth comes through and sets you free. Where, you know, I was talking about that earlier, that captivity, like the initial captivity gets repeated, repeated by the lie and the false strategy we apply to it. And it takes God's truth to step in, which is why Jesus can say the truth will set you free. It's that truth that return responds to that lie and then a new strategy based on that truth that then produces a different outcome. And, of course, it's always the thing you don't want to do because it requires submission to Christ. Yeah. That was that was deep, man. I think uh, I think you get the uh, the major point of the podcast right there. That was wow. that was good. All right. I'm going to I'm going to rewind that back and listen to that again. You should take some notes. I mean, God's good. <laughs> I think these glasses are. I think these glasses are. That's uh, what it enhan- is. It's enhancing. It's uh, you know they say you look smarter, but man, I, it, I think, I think you know when they say dress, uh, f- dress for success or, you know, uh, look the part of what you want. Man, glasses are doing it for you. I'm loving it. I did it. Okay, <laughs> look the part. There I am. Glasses that is good. I don't have I don't have any exclamation point to put on that. I think I think you nailed it. Um, I do want to jump over. Well, you did one one thing I did want to mention because I thought this was a really uh, key point that that Lee um, stated, which was he is, he escaped the, the trauma of Joe. If you guys haven't listened to the podcast before this, do so because you know there's a whole you know escaping Joe story, which is pretty intense. But they escaped the the trauma of Joe, but not the wounds. And you you had kind of brought up the wounds, and that's kind of what started all of this. Um, and I thought, man, what a what a poignant uh, poignant. Is that how you say it? Poignant. Potent. Poignant. A potent point. I think poignant po- is a word. For 500, please. <laughs> potent potables. A little Jeopardy fan here. All right. Good times. Um, so, yeah, no, that, I, I thought that was, I, I think that was a, a really good uh, kind of deep dive in, into that point. But uh, let's get on to the, the Aaron side of the lessons as, as, I, as I've kind of split this up. This is where he's he's escaped the, the trauma of Joe. He's... He's has his own life. He he starts to live his own life, and he, he still feels that pull, right? Like, like he hasn't completely uh, escaped it. Which, honestly, for me, man, like I would think that for him, just Joe would have completely soured my relationship with Christ. I mean, that just just knowing that this this is a potential man of God, and uh, you know this father relationship that that God wants us to model and all that stuff. And I'm be like, no, I want no part of that. But there was still that pull on his life uh, to the extent that, you know, he talks about that, that moment where he actually uh, has to move back. And I, I think that, I think there was a, like a fire and some, some, some family members. And, and that's, I think that was kind of like the, uh, the sobering moment, if you will. It was where he, he goes, okay, like I need to, I need to take life seriously. Like this, there's more at stake here than me just pursuing whatever I want to pursue. Cause it sounds like things got, got pretty normalized if you will, but there was no purpose. There was just, uh, a wayward approach at, at life. And he, he was in a good place, I guess. I mean, he was down in Miami. So, you know, there, there's definitely a, 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 a imagined lifestyle that comes with that. And it sounds like what he was describing, you know, he fully engaged in that um, to where he's like, okay, like I need to, I need to move back. And then he essentially became, he started following Joe's steps again. He finally got into like a, a pastoral role. He, he, he started, was thinking about taking over a church and ended up planting a church. Um, the church was thriving. 
he gets married. He gets. I don't think we talk about this at all, or they didn't really spend. They, they married sisters, so brothers married sisters. Like that's yeah. a. I'm trying to get my head around that. Like if, if my my sisters married, like I don't know. That's just a weird weird one for me to get my head around. Which makes all of this even more complex, right? Because they essentially start a church together, and then their relationship falls apart, and so he's he's just kind of in this uh, anxiety s- cycle. And I guess my question is, up until this point, up until where he, he says he kind of wrestles with God, I, I think it, it just becomes a, a boiling point or a tipping point in, in his his life where he's like, all right. And, and I've, I've come to this point in my life, too, where it's like, okay, God, uh, I think I've gotten as far as I can take myself. I, I, I think I've, I've gotten, like, you, you just, as a guy, you just throw it on your shoulders and you just go. And you go and you go and you go and you go. And next thing you know, you're crawling and you don't know why you're crawling. You're like, man, I've, I've done all these things. And you're like, oh, you know what? You know, God asked, asked, asked for a partnership. He didn't ask for me to just go there and and do it myself. You know, my plan versus his plan are two different things. And I think he got to the end of his plan and the end of his plan was panic attacks. It sounded like heart attacks. I don't, I don't know exactly the, the diagnosis, but it sounded horrible to the extent where like, I've never been in a car looking at okay there's a there's a hospital there i hope i hope that we you know stay in close yeah. proximity to that and we know where the next one is in case i just pass out that's that's pretty intense have you had, have you had a situation like that i mean you're a small business owner and make kids cry is there has there been a point where you just had that level of anxiety i'm feeling too good thanks thanks for bringing me back down <laughs> to reality um, no never to that point I definitely deal with anxiety way more being a small business owner, especially in the last two to three years than I did prior to that, but never to the point of counting exits. So yeah, I can't quite relate to that. Definitely can relate to a sense of being terrified and knowing there's nothing legitimately to be terrified about. Uh, so a little bit relate to, but not quite, uh, quite that. That sounds like a pretty miserable, uh, captivated place. Yeah. Well, he ultimately got to a point of full surrender. And I feel like that's where a lot of these situations go is we run to the end of ourselves and we get into a situation where we basically realize that it's either a hundred percent dependence on God or one to 99% dependence on ourselves. And, and, and for God, he's like, no, like I need, I need all of you or none of you. You know, I, I don't want, I don't want to be a, uh, you know, God that you put on the shelf when you need me and you take down when you need, when you need something, I, I want your full surrender. And, uh, you know, he, he finally got to that point where he, he really started walking through it and, and dealing with it. The interesting thing for me was like he talked a little bit about his mountain men trip, and I don't know if you'd like put these two together, but uh, he went on a mountain men trip with Lee and Johnny. <laughs> like that was wow. that was Johnny's first trip, is uh, if I'm understanding correctly, and like that. So I I don't know at what point he walked in. It sounded like it was the kickoff meeting. He walks in and is like, oh, oh crap! I don't think uh, I don't think I can fake it anymore. For him to go on a trip with those guys, that's where I kind of go back to a. You have that brotherhood. You have those guys that are going to hold you accountable. You have those guys that are going to pull that out of you and say, hey, I know that there's more possible for you. I've been through uh, you know, the trenches. I've been through the, the valleys, and I've experienced the peaks, and, and I, know, I know the difference. And he couldn't fake it anymore. He, he had to fully surrender 
and allow God to work because he knew he couldn't run from it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's the sense that is brought when you get around people who are very much confronting their own stuff. You start to get drawn into that. And that's that speaks, of course, to what God's built with our own brotherhood, Mountain Men, The Breakfast. But it also speaks to God's um, character and his personality. So one thing you don't hear in that is Aaron wasn't intimidated. He wasn't scared into revealing himself. He wasn't scared into telling the truth in a very real sense to people. But he was, it was intimidating. Those are interesting emotions, emotions to divide because fear you know, the Bible says the goodness of God brings you to repentance. But goodness, we often interpret in our mind as kindness of God. And goodness, biblically, is not kindness. It's not that kindness is not biblical. It's just to say that goodness carries with it um, some both positive and, it's not negative, uh, uncomfortable. Good is both comfortable and uncomfortable, which we tend to interpret kindness even biblically as comfortable responses. You know, that's the cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty. That's, you know, bread to those who are hungry. Kindness is. But goodness, biblically, is a very confronting trait. It's just as good for me to call somebody out on their lies to themselves as it is to compliment them for what they've, the progress they've made. That is both inside the goodness category. And we tend to only lump in, or we tend to only picture the complimentary side. So the goodness of God draws us to repentance. That's what I picture when he talks, paints that picture of walking into a room and going, oh, wow, okay, we're about to get, we're about to get real here, is there's lots of goodness there. And the goodness of God brings us to repentance. I think that's what, God's personality does. He has a way of drawing you in to a sense of like, oh, wow, this is going to be real, but also not scaring you into it. It's not fear-driven. He's he's inviting you into a space that's very uncomfortable and very difficult, but you go willingly. Like You go willingly because there's freedom and a sense of like, there's definitely freedom, but also with that is embodied a sense of like wholeness. It's like when you've injured your ankle and it starts to feel like, oh, good, there it is. Now it's starting to get strong again. That's that sense that God brings often in situations like this where you're dealing with issues with your soul. That's good stuff. I, I think that, um, again, going back to the, the brotherhood message, you know, having, having that brotherhood around you, having that goodness around you to, to give you the edification as, as well as the examination of your life and, and, and showing you that path so that it, you get to the point where you realize you can't hide from it. You can't continue to compress it down because these guys can see through that. And it's because a lot of times you can see through it because you've been through it. And when you're in that situation and you see somebody struggling, you're, you're immediately drawn to it because you're like, I remember when I went through that. I remember when I, when I, when I dealt with that stuff and here's how, here's God's faithfulness through this. Here's, here's what, what happened in, in my situation. And I will walk side by side with you to help you go through that and encourage you, you know, hopefully for Joe that 
he he has that now or you know I don't know where his story ends up but they didn't really talk about it for Aaron's story he he got to a point of reconciliation with his mom because I think he had a lot of anger towards his mom I think he said that of like why did you allow this to happen he recon- reconciled with his original father he's like hey had you had you not you know, left us, we would have not been in this situation. And there was a forgiveness that happened there. There was a reconciliation that happened there. And that's ultimately like, that's that freedom that comes from that self-examination that comes from that, you know, following God's path and following forgiveness and, and walking through that to where, you know, if Aaron continued down the path that he was on, didn't, didn't, approach that point of full surrender because it, it does sound like he talked about it. he said I can either let go or let the cycle repeat and uh, for him I think he finally saw the consequences of generational uh, a, a generational cycle cycle like he would be ultimately putting his kids potentially through the same cycle that he had been so now he's actually breaking that generational curse he's breaking you know the the that cycle that was had been started from maybe his father maybe went maybe went back further than that maybe that's why his father you know did what he did is because he was stuck in that cycle he didn't he didn't go through that pursuit of confronting the situation and dealing with the situation uh and surrendering to god so you know for aaron like you know if you're on the high if you're on the uh on the pod if you were on the podcast be like man hey high five i know your story's not completely written but you know to take the steps that you've taken to get through that you know that gives hope to the to me, it gives hope to anybody in that room that listened to the, the, the message or to the podcast. Like that gives hope for a lot of people that are, that are looking at their situation right now and going, okay, man, Aaron had a similar situation to me, or I feel like I'm in the middle of that in some capacity. And and I gotta, I gotta deal with it. I gotta confront it. There was, there was three points and I can't remember who brought this up, but uh, I'm I'm guessing it was Lee or Aaron, but uh, it was like, don't run from God when he calls you to follow him. Uh, don't let the wounds hold you back. Allow God to heal you and deal with it. And number three, commit to a brotherhood so you can get get better. Uh, you may need to share your story and then you know take your next step. I think that that's the common theme of brotherhood that I'm trying to pull out. I'm trying to highlight just the importance, just from you know my experience and and the adversity that I've gone through. I know that you've gone through through similar adversities and and seen the benefit of having that brotherhood around you. You know, my my goal is to continually challenge. Anybody who's listening, because whether you're in Tulsa and, and have the ability to be a part of our our brotherhood, or you're you're one of the other brotherhoods that's you know popping up around town or in multiple states, you have to create that brotherhood yourself. It's not something that you can do on your own. We talked in the Vision Cast, which was you know one of the, the previous podcasts, just about stepping up and saying, "Hey, I'm willing to 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 lead a group of guys." Because if you're just sitting there waiting for somebody to step up and do that, it might not happen. Like. God may be calling you to do that, and it's it's up to you to to make that decision and say yes, I am willing to step up. Yes, I am willing to you know create the the brotherhood around me, and I am willing to fail at it a little bit. I'm, there might be guys that that don't show up. There might be guys that uh, you know say, hey, I need this, but then you know you just got to be patient. Or there might be guys in your group right now that need you to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. It doesn't look like you know, you're continuing to pursue, are you struggling? How can I help? And, and hopefully having that relationship that you can pursue them, uh, and rescue them from a situation before it goes, you know, down the Joe path. So, you know, my encouragement to anybody here would be, you know, go back and listen to Aaron's story. It's a tough one to listen to, but I think the, on the other side of it, there, there, there was freedom for Aaron. So that it does have a happy ending. 
and there can be freedom for you knowing that somebody else has gone through that uh, and come out on the other side. But it does take full surrender. It does take you dealing with it. You can't execute a winning formula created by a, a nine-year-old. You have to you know, really take some steps to analyze the situation from where you sit today and identify that maybe some of the habits that I have, maybe some of the decisions that I make, I need to evaluate because I'm just going to continue on the cycle. Yeah, that's good. I think that's well said. That's well, um, I mean, that kind of buttons up where we're at. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't add anything. I wouldn't add anything to that, Evan. I think for the first time. I'm going to classify this as Matt is speechless. So we had, we we reciprocated. I had my speechless moment with you and and man, we're just complimenting each other. It's the glasses, man. I'm liking this. There's always one moment in every podcast and you just waited till the end. (laughs) Well played. Well played. Okay. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. I will receive the passive aggressive comment. This is great. I I appreciate that. So uh, we already had December. We'll, we'll do a uh, Brotherhood podcast on December with Pastor Willie George. It was a great message. I'm excited to dig into that. So stay tuned. Uh, you should see that hopefully here in the next couple of weeks. We'll, we'll try to get this one out as, as, as quickly as we can. I do want to say, like, uh, you know, Johnny did talk a little bit about it from the stage in the December Brotherhood Breakfast. You know, just some of the reach. You know, we're approaching 100,000 uh, listens on the podcast. We, we have multiple states, multiple countries that are listening to the podcast. So if that's you, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening this long because obviously, you know, we have this podcast that's not short. So thank you for sticking all the way through. I have seen some of the stats and people do listen all the way through. So that's that's really awesome. We're going to continue to uh, pursue just building this podcast. I, I think it, it is going to be a key element of, you know, some of the future of brotherhood. You got to hear a little bit about that from Lee. But man, we're just so thankful for for all you guys that tune in and listen, and, and hopefully uh, are encouraging you to create create your own brotherhoods in, in everything that you do. Next month we have uh, Pastor Whit George uh, to set the tone for the year. Um, I'm really encouraged and excited to hear what he has to say as he as he speaks to the men as we jump into 2024 uh, and beyond that. Matt, thank you for uh, being on this journey with me. I, I know that, uh, you know, sometimes it can be a little, little difficult. You got to put up with my sarcasm and my, my verbal, uh, uh, sparring with you, but, uh, you, you survived another year. Well, uh, likewise, I am, um, I'm grateful to be on this podcast. I, I very <laughs> much am. I, uh, it, that gratefulness grows oh. despite your strong adherence, your, your <laughs> strong o- opposal, opposition, if you will. Uh-huh. To my gratefulness. No, I, I'm grateful. <laughs> I, I'm thankful. It's a good time. And uh, we learn a lot. We learn a lot if nobody else is. And apparently, the stats would show there's some other people God's speaking to as well. Yeah. So, good there news you go. for 2023. One more to go. I don't know if we'll get it in. Will we get in? Yeah, we'll, we'll figure response? out. We'll figure out a way to do it. We'll figure we'll, out. I got to look at the calendar. 2023, we're out. Yeah. Uh, if so, I'll do one more farewell on that final podcast sounds good well brothers remember honor all people love the brotherhood fear god and honor the king we'll catch you on the next podcast <laughs>